December 4, 2008, John Berrigan phoned me and he said that he was stepping down as CEO of Willow Creek Canada after 17 years and was wondering if I'd consider launching a ministry to the Canadian church and he wanted to work together. On uh, November the 16th, 2011, I got up on a Sunday and announced we were launching church renewal. We had no pastors, we didn't have any program, no idea how we were going to go forward, just knowing that God had called us. Then November 2012, we started our first mentoring meetings with two lead pastors, and in June 2013, just two years ago, we held our first church renewal weekend with 26 church leaders. Uh, Apostle Alex and Catherine, were, we flew them out for that as well, and uh, we basically begged and kidnapped pastors to come uh, to that first one, 26. The next one we had, I think, 38. Then we had 40. Then we had 76. Then it dropped to 50. This last January, we broke the record with 97. And today, our registrations are at 121. Can you believe that? And we're a month to go. God has a huge calling on us, doesn't he, church? Huge calling. And, uh, but this is what I want to say. One of the keys to this kind of growth has been the tireless work of John and Lorraine Bergen, who have networked with pastors and denominational leaders. We tell them that just about every single time we see them. Uh, we say there wouldn't be a church renewal if you guys weren't involved with us. And because they network, they know a lot of people, they work the phones, they're tireless in the emails, and they, they bite your ankle, and they won't let go till you say okay. So people come to the church renewal after they're through with them. And they're absolutely amazing. I, uh, we couldn't be doing what we're doing if they weren't fulfilling their significant role here in Canada. And uh, God connected Fran and I with John and Lorraine in an Argentina-slash-Alex kind of way. It's a miraculous story, or like the story of Pablo and uh, Rob Funk in Cuba. This one is no different, and one day I'll tell you the story. But we don't have time today because I want him to uh, share with you um, his story and a message coming out of their journey. It's very, very powerful. A few months ago, I asked him to share in the Marketplace Leaders and, um, and uh, they, he did such a wonderful job. I just sensed the, that we needed, to, uh, the whole church family needed to hear this. And so uh, we invited him. Lorraine couldn't come because of their son, Byron. You'll hear a little bit more about uh, some of the challenges about Byron uh, a little bit later in the, in the message and testimony. Uh, but I want you to, would you stand with me and welcome our friend, and our fellow minister, a godly man, we love him, and my friend. Thank you, family. Thank you, family. <clears throat> I want to pick up one comment before I start my message today with picking up with what Pastor Ray was just saying. It's one thing to have connections with pastors, but if it's not a message, that'll change their lives. You don't have much. And therefore, friends, I, as I even thought about that, I thought of, I hope you're beginning to understand and becoming more that God, as only God can do, our sovereign God, is working through Southland Church and Church Renewal to impact Uganda and Cuba, Asia, and now Canada, from, from basically now from shore to shore across our country. 
and we've only just begun. So we trust you'll keep parting with us, parting with Pastor Ray, and see what God has yet to do in and through what he's called us to do. But then also, if it means this, so it means then, dear God, what do you want to do in my life to make me more and more like you? This morning, if you would take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, if you would. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, as we, in a sense, talk about the journey today. But here's a verse that, uh, in a sense, in a kind of underlines t- today's talk, as given by the Apostle Paul. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to what? Yes. His power at work within us. To him be the glory. This morning, as I share part of our journey, my big prayer is that you'll look past me and see Jesus and what he he does in our lives, what he wants to do in your life as well. This morning, I want to, in a sense, just highlight the four key points that I'll come to in in the next 40 minutes of our time together. And it goes like this. The first point is that, number one, God wants to grow our character versus us being characters. It may sound easy, but it's not quite that simple, is it, really, in life? It's more, it's more complex. Number two, crisis times do not develop character or spiritual vitality. They simply reveal our character, what's there. Oh, my goodness. Number three, Brokenness or the dark night of the soul becomes powerful as we surrender all to Jesus without reservation or condition. And number four, given to my dad some days before he died of a heart attack when he said this, Johnny, bitterness is an unending task master. Never, ever go there. Before I pray and we begin, I want to tell a little story of what happened in our home and hopefully it will even make things clearer for you all this morning. When my wife turned 60, we had a special kind of a week of, of celebration, which she didn't really eat, enjoy that much. But then it was Friday night, and it was uh, dinner with, uh, with, uh, with the kids. And Mason, our middle grandson, was sitting on the counter, and she was making dinner. And he said, Grandma, are you really 60? Yes. Well, Grandma, you don't look 60. And, and Lorraine said, well, thank you, thank you. Bless you, my dear little grandson. And he said, Grandma, is 60 old or is 60 young? Okay, how do you explain that to the little guy? So he put her, hand, her arms out wide and said, Mason, let this in a sense reflect one's life or the handbreadth of one's life. Starting point, ending point. Young, old. And, and, and then Lauren said, Mason, you're this old and you have this much life to go. Mason said, Grandma, I have a lot of life left, don't I? And Grandma said, yes, you do. And then Lorraine said, and Mason, I have lived this much. I have this much left to go. And Mason said, Grandma, I wish you weren't so old. (laughs) Agreed. But friends, here's the point. There is an unwritten part of our lives yet to be lived. That God wants to be the best ever with us and for us as we submit all to Jesus. And let, let him take our hand in ascent in life and walk us through that our lives have meaning and purpose. And at times, to a degree you would never have believed. 
So if you're 20, start young. If you're 50, you're kind of past the halfway point. If you're 60, you better go for the gold quickly, right? But God wanting to, to reign and rule in our lives and, and use us mightily for the time that there is. As we just sense, time's getting short, right? The world's changing. It's more and more, it's more, and more chaotic. And, and as if, by and large, that the church in, in, in North America is not keeping pace with, with the chaos in our world, and as if the world is, in, is influencing the church more than the church the world, we're saying, that's got to change. And friends, it's changing right here in Southland Church. Let's stop and pray, and then let's get to work. Jesus, thank you for your hand upon our lives. Thank you for your hand upon Southland Church, upon Pastor Ray Friend and the entire team. Thank you for your call to church renewal, locally, nationally, globally. And what you're doing today, it's no longer a dream. It's becoming a, a time to pretty challenging reality. But now, Lord, for this morning, would you kind of quiet our hearts, our minds, our spirits, now, Lord, to hear from you and what you want to say to us and through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. It was the end of World War II. And my dad's family were really quite gratified because two of the boys had come from the front lines of Germany in World War II. They came back alive, bruised and beaten, but alive. The family was so gratified. At the same time, dad's 19-year-old kid brother, who was married, his wife was pregnant, was killed in a farm accident. And all of a sudden, my dad was scrambling, now what's this all about? You pray for the boys that come home from the war, and now this kid is killed, and oh, man. And that gave my dad a need to begin to, to search for answers to his inner spiritual emptiness. It led him to a small Baptist church in little Tofield, Alberta, Canada. And there over some time, dad became a Christ follower. That would change our family over time quite dramatically. Not, not immediately, but over time. But I recall, as, as I even shared this morning, that as my, my father was a dairy farmer, which meant you milk cows 24-7, morning, evening, Right? But I remember in summertime at times that Pastor Gardner would arrive and when Dad is finishing up milking, he's working now in what he called the milk house, getting things cleaned up for the following day. And Pastor Gardner would sit on an outside chair talking to Dad about faith. And my father would be at his best during those days when Pastor Gardner was talking about faith because that started to change our family. And now over 70 years later, people, for even more than that, to think that one, one decision made by my dad would have such, such far-reaching impact upon our lives. So friends, decisions you make at times can have incredible impact, short-term, long-term. Anyway, grew up on this dairy farm, youngest of five kids, only boy. As, as a young kid, learned how to muck out the barn and uh, feed cattle and drive tractors and drive farm trucks, stuff like that. But around our dinner table, the talk usually was about education and hard work. And the girls were, were already in college and such like, and looking at their goals, and along came this scruffy little kid named Johnny, right? And um, then at age 14, my parents went to a little rural, I guess we could call a revival service. And during this evening, I prayed to a prayer to receive Christ, not because I was worried about heaven, but I was scared of hell. So my prayer really was a fire pass. They wouldn't go to hell. It kind of got on with my 14-year-old life. Finished high school, first thing was, what, what college do you want to go to? What are you going to do? 
Well, Dad had bought some farmland here before to, to, to expand the dairy farm, and I wasn't just so sure, kind of hung with Dad for a couple of years, and then really began to move towards the business world, which was kind of my heartbeat, so to speak. And uh, then as a young guy, life was really good for me. In my early 20s, I had bought my first Pontiac Preach and Tudor hardtop fully loaded and was paid for, guys. <laughs> right? I was pretty proud of my car. But then I began praying for a Christian wife, but I didn't know where to find one of those. So young guys, if you're part of Southland Church, you're in a great spot. Right? <laughs> you really are. So I was praying, as I knew also were my parents, because they were kind of worried about me. Because I, I had dated some non-Christian girls. And then as I began praying, I met Lorraine, who's now my wife, and went on a first date. And I said, oh, this I like. I said to her, can we go out again? And she said, well, only if I know that you are born-again Christian. Well, I won't go up with you. Oh, yes, I am, really am. Mm -hmm, I really am. <laughs> she was partially convinced. Her father was totally unconvinced. <laughs> well, that led to a latent Ford crusade, and where I really made that step of Jesus in my life. We, we dated, we got engaged, we got married, had two little boys. And uh, for, the, for, the, for the sake of time, I'm trying to move on rather quickly, but not too quickly. Early 30s, life was incredibly good for us, kind of amazing, actually. And during that time, God was, in a sense, giving me a gift of evangelism. And two or three lunches a week in, in a certain restaurant, even had a corner table, I would buy non-Christian guys lunch and share Christ with them. And I would have come across a book called Born Again by Charles Colson way back then. But the, the title it was emblazoned on, on the front cover was Born Again. So I would put the book into a brown paper bag. It wouldn't freak my friends out with that title. And then give them the book over lunch and say, read the book, let's talk. And quite a number of these guys began to move towards faith in Christ, and some actually crossed the line of faith in Christ. It was really pretty neat. So really people, kind of a paradox, a heart for, for God, for evangelism. But there was one major internal tension point in our home. It looked like this. I have my wife's agreement to share this with you all. Lorraine had an amazing walk with God, still does. But back then, as a young nurse, early mornings, in the Bible, a journal and prayer. I didn't have time for that. I was too busy. I could pray in the shower, pray in my vehicle going to work or from work, pray on an airplane. But this devotional thing, I just didn't have time. I was sharing my faith. If you know my wife, Lorraine, you can't really rationalize things to her. It doesn't go over that well. But I tried. It didn't work well. But I'll tell you what happened. She's bugging me about my like devotions. I said, well, Lauren, here's the deal. We're actually partners. You're doing the Bible study and prayer. I'm doing the sharing of my faith. It's really a partnership. <laughs> that didn't go over well. I realized I had pulled a real boo-boo that time, okay? Well, life carried on. One day I had this thought. What if we got Charles Colson to come to Canada and speak to them for banquets or barbecues according to what would be summer or fall, and have it at our farm and on the back patio, or otherwise, if it was off-season, have Colson speak to a couple hundred people who would be either Christians or new to faith. And I thought it was an amazing idea. And Lorraine kind of agreed with me. 
So I called my brother Don and said, hey, Don, you live in Washington, D.C., so does Colson. Would you get a luncheon set up with, with Colson and me to invite him and him to Canada? And Don said to me, John, I don't know Colson from the hole in the ground. But Don, you live in D.C. Oh, sure. Please try. A couple of days later, he called and said, John, I've got you set up a month from now with lunch with Charles Colson. I was ecstatic. The rainbow flights, a month later, were off to, to Washington, D.C. We got there, and then the following day that my brother and I then left to, to head into, into town and to, to Fellowship House on Embassy Row in D.C. for the disluncheon. We arrived there, and I realized, oh my goodness, this will not be a one-on-one -on -one lunch with Charles Colson. This is quite a deal. The grounds were impeccable. We walked in the front door. We actually had a major d' greet us, direct us to this incredible dining room with this massive oak table that would even impress Len Neufeld. <laughs> and as we went to sit down, here, the people from all over the globe, about 30 or 40 from around the world, and the chairperson, each person can share a bit of the story globally from where they were over this luncheon. And then, as we finished the lunch, he then said, now, Colson is not here today because his in-laws have some health issues, and therefore, I'm here on his behalf. And he said, now, John Bergen, you're here from Canada. Welcome. What's on your mind? Well, sir, uh, I've been giving out the book called Born Again. The men in my city that really have enjoyed the book, many have come to faith in Christ, and if Colson would come to Canada, it could be really powerful having him share with a cross-section of people about the faith journey. And I thought I'd actually said it really quite well. The room was very quiet. The acoustics were impeccable. Actually, too good. <laughs> Way too good. He then said this, John, how many hours a day do you spend in Bible reading and prayer? I felt my stomach tighten. And I felt like saying, well, what's that to you? I never asked you, why are you asking me? But he sat there impassively looking at me, waiting for the answer. I'm going, oh God, okay, if I think if I pray with my boys each morning as I leave for work, but I'm usually gone before they're up, that doesn't count. Even over dinner, but I'm gone a lot with work. Oh yes, but I teach an adult class at church. I'm also a church elder. That'll count. But you know, I really wing that class. It doesn't really take me that long. My stomach tightens again. I really wanted to lie, but I couldn't lie in that setting. This wouldn't work. You shouldn't lie anyway. I don't understand that, right? <laughs> so as I totaled up the, the, the minutes, I said, well, 20 to 25 minutes a day, I'm really on the outer edge of reality. And he said this, John, when you're through playing spiritual games, come and talk to us again. Until then, we haven't got time for those who don't mean it, that they're, that they're all in for Christ. Thus ended the meeting, Fellowship House. I actually had wished that there would have been a little button to push a little button, open the trap, or I could have the Indians slid on down through, but uh, no such luck. There we were. Meeting ended. Chatted with the, the, the Major D for a moment, and then we left and drove back to uh, my brother's house an hour away. I think we said three or four words all the way back. And then we arrived, and Lorraine came running out of the house. Ladies, listen to this very carefully. It's kind of a real thing, a learning uh, point. She came out, said to me, John, what happened? How was the meeting? I said, terrible. So I told her. And she could have said, you big dummy, I, I told you so, right? You have to have devotion and prayer every day. 
I've been begging you. What she did, gave me a little kiss on the cheek, squeezed my hand, a little tear ran down her cheek. She went back to the house. Because she knew God was doing some very deep work in my life, like really deep. Well, life carried on after that. Phone rang. A fellow called the name was Terry Winter, was a Western Canada evangelist and had had a, a TV program telling us that he wanted to come to our city if I would be part of, of a crusade committee. And I wasn't sure about that, but agreed to meet him for coffee, which we did. Liked the guy. And we said, Terry, I don't know about crusades, but I'll tell you what. We'll come the first night as a couple. And then if it's relevant to our friends, we'll bring our friends who are not Christians. Went the first night and said, wow, this guy is good. Then every night thereafter for six nights, we would bring a different non-Christian couple for the whole week. And then on the Monday thereafter, Lorraine said to me, John, we can't leave these people like this. So, a bit of the story of Rain Friend in Woodstock. We now started a small group at our house. I mean, the front room was covered, covered in cigarette smoke, but hungry for Jesus. And then months thereafter, what we, we, we then did was that we then had a big barbecue where we invited Terry to come back, and our friends invited their friends, and a couple hundred showed up for that event. And then Terry spoke for us about six or seven times during that time, and then we then began working with him, doing what were called Christian to Life seminars across Canada with Terry Winter until he died suddenly of an aneurysm. But part of our journey, God taking us deeper at that point in time, and me beginning to understand submission, but I still wasn't there. In fact, guys, here's a quick story here. At this point in time, early 30s, we now owned five Alberta-based companies, right? The prime one was a, a mortgage brokerage firm. We then had a, a land development company. We built about 30 homes a year. We, and then uh, we had a, a modular home company. And then we also had a... My, my hobby was a grain farm. A 2,500-acre grain farm hobby, which is somewhat more than a hobby, right? But part of our journey at that point in time. And I recall so clearly at that point in time of my life, praying and, and doing this, and God, I give you my wife, I give you Barn, I give you Brent, but Lord, my companies, I would prefer keeping those myself. Because God, I don't feel would know how to run a company. <coughs> was, so that's kind of where I was at, but I was journeying towards him. And he was very gently drawing me, at times not so gently, but drawing me to him in submission to his call upon my life. Well, anyway, uh, <clears throat> life went on. God, God's doing his work. And then the, the phone rang. It was a call from what's called the Western Canada Reporter. And uh, they, they had heard from Dun & Bradstreet in a certain survey that of the Alberta's smallest growing companies were in the fact that we were in the, in the top 100 companies. I said, really? He said, we would like to do a feature article on you and Lorraine and your companies in this magazine at no cost. Well, if you're a business guy, you have a certain line item for promotion in your budget. This was free. Well, I said, well, let me talk to Lorraine. Now, listen carefully. What do you think John Bergen is now doing each morning, early in the morning? What am I doing? Devotions, prayer, journaling. All right? Which my wife has done for years. But now it's part of my journey. We finished this time. Lorraine said to me, John, I don't think it's right. I think it's the wrong timing. See, so you know what? I agree with you. Call him back. We can't do it. John, this is free. I said, I realize that, but it's not the right timing for us. You see, God has started to take, take me deeper in my journey 
are listening to him, obeying him, trusting him. Well, then we had uh, was November. This was now in the early, early 1980s. Alberta's now in a recession. And we'd flown to Phoenix for about a week to do some work on budgeting and planning and forecasting. And here again, people, then unlike now, then we actually had some money. And uh, had a gorgeous home in Scottsdale, Arizona, car in the garage as a, as a young couple. Went down there for the, this week. And uh, while we were there, uh, the phone rang. An older gentleman called me who I'd known quite well. In fact, when Terry could not come to one of our barbecues, this man from Phoenix had spoken for us at one of our barbecues. Interesting older gentleman, well known in, in the U.S. governmental circles and in business. And uh, was intrigued by a grain farm in Canada. So I remember touring him around the grain fields and the workshops and stuff, just showing it to him. He was intrigued by it all. It was kind of fun. Now he's calling me. Saying, John, I know you're in town, yeah, which was apparent. He said, would you give me half a day? I said, why? I want to show you my cotton farm. I said, you got a cotton farm? Well, my partner and I have a huge cotton farm in southwest Arizona. Really? Yeah. Fine. I was intrigued by it. Went out there. It's now November. They're starting to, to combine the cotton, and the Bible talks about fuels white to harvest. Yeah. Kind of like miles of cotton. And it was all their cotton operation. We, we toured the cotton farm, headed back to a restaurant for burgers and fries and Coke with Byron and Arliss. John, what do you think about, about, about my cotton farm? I said, well, this thing is huge. And it looks pretty good for as a crop. But I said, your equipment is pretty run down. It's pretty beat up. Man, I would be concerned about that. He laughed. And I said, well, why are you laughing, Arliss? He said, well, uh, we knew you would say that. John said, I've talked to my partner who's also getting up in years, and we're looking for a young person to work with, so we've agreed we'd like you to buy a third of a cotton farm. It's all been worked with our banker, our lawyers, and if you'll agree to it tomorrow night, my partner will fly it on his private jet to have dinner with us. I'm a kid off of a dairy farm. So I said to him, now, who is this partner who owns a private jet? It's not my world. Well, it's Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. You mean the cowboy guy who has a horse named Trigger, I think. Yeah, it's them. Well, how about that? Well, I was intrigued. I called back home to the, the, our farm foreman. He agreed he would move to, to Arizona for a few years. And um, we went back to the house and uh, talked to Lorraine and unsure. And then it's early morning next day. What are the Bergens doing early in the morning? Thank you. Devotions. Journaling and prayer. That's who we are. And we finished doing that, and then Lorraine says, John, I'm not sure how to tell you this, but God is saying to me, no, it's not for us to do this. It's wrong timing. But she knew that when my mind was made up, this was pretty exciting, right? I was a hard guy to move off track. But you know what? God had already told me no. I said, no, it's wrong timing. So Lorraine's trying to explain this to me. John, we can't do this. And I find Lorraine, just chill. God has already said no to me, too. No. Yeah. Called back to my friend, Arliss, we can't do this. Well, John, it's all agreed. And your foreman's going to come here. Can't do it, Arliss. Well, then our friends won't fly in tonight on their jet to meet you for dinner. Okay. But you see, people, this whole area of submission, for me, submission was hard. Right? Surrender was hard at that point in time. 
But God in his amazingness was working in my life, taking me deeper with him, but getting us ready for a journey that I wouldn't ever have asked for, I would not ask for now. So then life went on. It's now November. It's weeks later. It's now Christmas time. Our nine-year-old son, Byron, has actually chaired a host of the major church event for the kids. And as a parent, you're pretty proud. Professor nine-year-old. And his little brother, Brand, is saying, that's my big brother, right, who had done that. And then came New Year's, and we'd gone to see friends in Red Deer, Alberta, on the way back home to get ready for the weekend at work and work to issues in the, in the economy. We never got back. What happened was this. On the way back, apparently, I don't, don't know nothing about it, but apparently on a long curve on an icy road, a fellow with a crew cab truck pulling a trailer who was dead drunk had lost control, was coming at around the corner, uh, broadside, and we hit him broadside, T-boned this great big vehicle, apparently. And when I woke up days later, and it began to wake up, I could sense I was in a hospital room, hearing the sights and the sound and the smells. And I heard a friend say, hi, John, you're coming back. And then got to the point where I realized that my in-laws were at the, at the door of ICU with my mom, they're all, and my mother was weeping un uncontrollably. And the doctor's saying to, to them, if you want to see Johnny alive, you better come now. And you know what? I was being held in the arms of Jesus like you'd hold a little child. If you're a grandparent or a young parent, remember the first time you've held this little baby? It's such incredible love. That's how I felt. Secure and loved by Jesus at that point in time. I felt so bad for my mom and my in-laws. But I often said that I still probably was the best time of my life for the next couple of years, right? Because I just sensed God being there so immensely. Lorraine arrived some days later finally because she was pretty banged up. Her face was cut to ribbons and she had broken ribs, but because of me about to die and Byron, our son, having died twice, they brought him back each time and was then on life support. And little Brent at five was then in a body cast. He had totally scalped and he put a scalp back on and put him into a body cast. So that was kind of, but he wasn't dying. Right? Physically. And Lauren said to me, John, whatever happened? I had no idea. But that began that year. Right? Now, a second point I, I'm, that I want, I want to make is this. The first point was that God wants us growing in character versus being a character. And all of a sudden now, he was making that change in my life. From being a character to growing in character. But then now, number two was much deeper. Crisis times do not develop character or spiritual vitality. They simply reveal the depth of our journey with Christ and our character in Him. And yet, could, could, could we make it? I had no idea. Lorraine didn't either, right? Didn't really know. How deep were we? I knew she was, but where was I? Well, let's carry it on. I do recall an ICU um, there was a doctor there who was dying. And I remember clear as a bell, like it was yesterday, hearing his, his, his heart monitor, and he was yelling, no, no. And he went, no, he died. The nurses were so worried about him because he had died with such fear. And suddenly there's a nurse beside my bed, and of course now, guys, my head is like this. I'm all wired up with wires all over my face, inside my face, and my speech is pretty well non-existent. The nurse comes and kneels beside my bed and says to me, John, are you a Christian? Huh. And I said, yes. 
And I motioned her to get close to my mouth. The best I could have said to her, are you a Christian? She said, no, I'm not. That really got my attention. So I motioned again, get closer. And then I said to her as best as I could, if you are not a Christian, why are you asking me that question? And then she said a thing which was both good and bad. She said, I've seen a lot of death and dying on this ward. You're the first person who was about to die who wasn't afraid. It's got to be a God. Yeah, it's my Jesus, right? Well, then, friends, time went on. Uh, moved from there to the, uh, the main ward. And as if when I moved from ICU to the main ward, as if God went silent. For the next couple of years, it's like I couldn't buy an answer to prayer. It was, it was a distance removed from me, right? And God, of course, was now starting to take us on a, on a journey of brokenness. Which is really point number three. Brokenness, the dark night of the soul, becomes powerful as we surrender all to Jesus. But friends, I was just in the brokenness part. I wasn't at the surrendered part yet. And life was more than difficult. And in, in the hospital as a family for 10 months, Right? And for me, countless surgeries on my face and my jaws and then the rest of my body going on down, right? Even a surgery here about nine weeks ago and great how your team prayed for me again during that time. But I recall so clearly where at, during this time, Lorraine had gone back home to the office for a week and our bankers were really worried and so, and then the same breath talking to bankers and um, Two very, very key staff members resigned to go elsewhere. And she uh, came back and arrived back at, back at the hospital, and she met with, with doctors and uh, therapists talking about Byron's journey and saying to, to her, well, he'll really be a vegetable, so what do you want to do with him? And then she, she'd come to see me. And at this point in time, I was in therapy six hours a day, Monday to Friday, but it had no use, use at all of my left leg or hip of any kind. It was like a piece, like, like, like an appendage of my body. And before she arrived to see me, I'd had doctors with me as well and therapists and saying to me, John, here's our goal for you. That someday you'll, you'll walk with two canes. That's the best you can ever have, right? But we don't think that, that that could even happen, but we'll find out. Now it's evening. I'm really not in a good place, right? I'm trying to pray, but it's like God's silent. And suddenly beside me on the next bed, I hear a man starting to cry. His name was Jerry. Jerry's a 45-year-old oil man from Western Alberta. He'd arrived the day before, only had one leg. And now wants to have a second leg removed because he had, a, he had a blood disorder. And he's prepped for surgery for the following morning. And uh, he's crying. I pulled back the curtain, Jerry, are you okay? And he said some pretty bad words, and he said, I'm not okay. That's really what, he, what, what he really meant. I got that. <laughs> I'm really bright. <laughs> and I said, Jerry, do you want to talk about it? Well, Johnny said, when my wife dropped me off, she advised me that when, she gets, when I get back home, she will not be there. She'll be gone. She can't take the pain of her life, and I'm scared. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I said, Jerry, the only answer is Jesus. Well, how, how do you do Jesus? Well, you got to put your faith and trust in him. Well, how do you do that? You have to pray and commit your life to Jesus. Well, how do you do that? And finally, I remember reaching my hand across the bed, taking his hand, leading Jerry in a sinner's prayer. 
to give his heart and life to Christ right there. Next day, he had surgery, came back, no legs. We then began doing a daily little Bible study, and then he began to grow like crazy. It need a thing, in spite of my own problems, in a sense, my own brokenness. And then I remember going home on a pass and coming back and uh, heading down the corridor to see Jerry's course on crutches. Every nurse knew me well. I said, John, where are you going? I'm going to go and see Jerry. Well, John, on Friday after you left for home, Jerry died. Wow, 45. Remember, my leg's going weak. But then think, what, you know what? Absent from the body, present for the Lord. And to know that in the middle of my own stuff, God had used me. That somebody could find Jesus in the middle of my brokenness and my pain. Well, again, we're really grappling at this point now about Byron. And I'm an elder in my church. So I called a meeting of the elders to come up, up and see me which they all did. I said, well, James chapter 5 talks about healing. Well, you all have to come up and pray over Byron. But if you don't believe in healing, don't come. If you've got junk in your life you don't want to confess, don't come. Right? Otherwise, please come to pray for Byron. The guys, of course, were pretty sober. And one of the guys even didn't come because he didn't really believe in healing. And I said, thank you for not coming. So if faith was the criteria for healing, Byron would have been healed on the spot. They arrived, the pastor arrived. I remember my mom being there, Lorraine was there, Byron's in a wheelchair. The guy spent half an hour just confessing any junk in their lives and making sure they were clean before Jesus. And then when they, they, they anointed him with oil and prayed over him, it was like waiting for him to jump up and run. And nothing happened. Remember Lorraine starting to weep, right? And some of the elders being kind of in shock that he wasn't healed. Here's my, my point, friends. Sometimes in our faith journey, perseverance in faith becomes a very key part of the journey. And perseverance isn't sexy and is not fun. But at times, persevering faith when times are tough is such a huge part of our journey. You want to cost Jesus. Persevering to the cross. Think of Peter. When he came back after denying Christ, his journey, the 12, the story, us here today. And I think at times we don't talk about persevering faith. And here's the irony of it. My wife and I have been involved in many healings of people, but not our own son. Right? And it's part of that journey, growing in Christ, okay? That was this little sidebar right there. Anyway, now we're, 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 we're heading home from the hospital after 10 months. We get home. Life is already up, upside down. I don't, we don't even know who we are anymore and how to do life. There are wheelchair ramps in our house and uh, all the rest of it and incontinence packages and the, the whole thing that would make up life like that. And little six, six-year-old guy doesn't all of a sudden say, well, that, is that Byron? Yeah, Brent, that's Byron. He's, he's gone, I know. This is different, but we'll trust God for the future, right? And here's the other part of the equation, good or bad. I, I was a church elder. And in my church, that meant you were kind of above the ordinary person in your spiritual vitality, right? So being that that was my, my current reality, this is what I did. 
I learned to have three faces. How about that, eh? Face number one for the church. How are you? I'm fine. You're fine? We're fine. Isn't life good? Isn't God fine? Praise Jesus. We're all fine. Wow. Second phase was what was in the office, where it wasn't quite so fine. But digging deep as a team to kind of move ahead with, with, with our companies in some very tough times, and yet still, still solvent as a company. Third phase was at home with Lorraine. It wasn't fine. And one day she was making dinner, and she said to me, John, you're getting so bitter. I said, I'm not getting bitter. Yes, you are. And then she said, we've lost one son. You want to lose both. In other words, if a marriage fails, what happens then? Well, that took me two weeks to ponder. Right? Two weeks to ponder. But in my pondering, here's what happened. I began to think back on my dad. My dad, of course, as a dairy farmer, had a paycheck every, twice a month. Right? My mother's family were not that blessed in a sense, and the time they would borrow money from my dad and wouldn't pay it back, and just created silly stuff like that. It made my dad angry, and dad got bitter, right? Yet, he was a Christian. But I knew that if ever we were to go to, to the Berrigan clan, it was fine. Mom's clan, it wasn't quite just that fine. But that was just life, right? That was just part of our storyboard. And one day, I'm not engaged to Lorraine. I'm, I'm meeting mom and dad for dinner, dinner to tell them the story, and I'm going to meet my friend Robert to ask him to be the best man. <clears throat> Having dinner, Dad read his Bible every day after dinner. Some guys read the journal, some guys read the, read the pre-press, Dad read the Bible. Wasn't really sure why. And I, I'm watching news on TV. And all of a sudden I hear Dad saying to Mom, Agnes, we have to go tonight and meet with your family. That wasn't a good thing. My, eye, my ears perked right up. And then I couldn't hear what they were saying, and then all of a sudden I heard Mom say to Dad, but John, you won't get your money back. And Dad said to her, Agnes, I have lost 20 years of my spiritual life. This has to end now. I'm going, whoa. They grabbed car keys. They were just gone. And I remember calling my friend Robert and saying, hey, man, I can't meet tonight. This I got to see. They came back. My father was released in a sense, right? A new guy. And his next six years, he died at, at 66 from a heart attack. But his growth in his Christ and his Lord was amazing. And then, of course, this one-liner... Out of the blue one day, Johnny, bitterness is an unending task, master, never go there. Thanks, Dad. But now it was right in front of me. Do I want to lose 20 years of my life like my dad did? And suddenly I find myself falling to my knees very carefully. I'm so banged up. I start to weep. It's like this, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, of my bitterness. If I never understand life, what's happened to us, it's okay. I'll trust you without, without, without condition, right? And I heard him say in a sense to me, welcome home, son, welcome back. But life will not get easy for, for long if it does, but trust me, I've got your back. I'm with you. And I remember feeling a huge sense of relief and release as that began to happen, right? Well, our life journeyed on at that point in time. And both of us growing in our faith journey. And then the call came to, to make the, the, the change from the corporate arena to the pastoral world. And at that time, you actually had to uh, 
write examination on theology to do that. And uh, even though I still have to be the executive pastor with, with, with Lorraine, the pastor for women in a, in a large church up in Edmonton, I remember the next, next months just crashing every day on theology and, and training and, and passing the basic courses and then moving towards ordination, which then led to, to how God then unfolded that we then moved to Edmonton. And then for five years, we're, we're pastors there at the Short Park Alliance Church. And then in the fifth year, how God began to work in our lives that Kind of amazing, because now I, I now move from, in the journey of, I own my stuff. That in that day on my knees, it's all yours, Jesus. It's all in. I now steward what you have for me, and Lord, I'll trust you with my life, our finances, with our everything. You call us shots. You know, it's really meant for us, mornings, devotions, prayer time, Jesus speak, right? We learn from the pastoral world. And because of our journey, it was kind of amazing in the sense that while we were pastors for five years, I never did one wedding. I lost track of the funerals. Isn't that funny? Because I could get where God had taken us in our journey. Then from the church then to uh, work with uh, Fuller Seminary as in church girls, kind of starting from zero with them and then merging that with Willow Creek Canada for 17 years. And then six years ago, God making it so incredibly clear to step down from Willow and move towards church renewal, having been at a set for retreat, even though we began all that, since then the pastor was able to share the journey. That, you know, it wasn't, okay, welcome in, now we'll start church renewal. God is doing his work, work in us. And also preparing Southland Church and Pastor Ray. And if we look at the last six years, people, in church renewal, for six years now, and already three years officially, working with and under Pastor Ray, the amount of life change we have been able to see in the church in Canada, we had never seen before. And friend, and we've only just begun. Now, as I start to wrap it up right now, really sense that for some unusual reason, God's hand is so distinctly upon Southland Church and church renewal. It's quite remarkable. And you are Southland Church. But a church is only as strong as the the person in the pew. You as the individual. And as, as if once again, God is saying, I want to just raise a bar on each of you in your walk with me. Whether it's loving me, me more deeply, obeying me, me more fully, just walking with, with you every day because this amazing call we have right here with Southland going forward. Would you bow your heads right now with me? Let me just talk to you for a second, very privately, very personally. Just close your eyes and listen carefully. Because you're Southland people, I am convinced, well, convinced, I believe, right? Pastor Ray always brags about you guys endlessly, right? That about half of you would have a daily quiet time with Jesus. Half of you would not yet. In other words, time, that's, not, that's not in the shower or driving your vehicle, but, but an appointment with Jesus, with you and him. Bible reading, journaling, and prayer. In fact, let me, in a sense... Define devotion that it won't sense that, oh boy, you're trying to bring some rules on me now. But I would define devotion as my personal act of worship, submitting the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. Right? My personal act of worship, submitting to the lordship of Christ in my life. Friends, time is getting short. God wants so wonderfully to work ever increasingly in our lives, and that's one really basic foundational way that becomes incredibly important. This morning, 
If you aren't quite there yet, you're saying, Pastor John, I'd love you to pray for me that I, I need to begin moving towards my own devotional time. If that's in your heart, we you just raise your hand? I could just pray for you. You're saying, I want to move that way. Oh, I see a lot of hands to my right. Oh, my goodness, yes. Okay, yes, thank you. To my left, midsection to my left. Friends, God sees that hand. I want to just pray with you and pray for you. Devotions are not a magic bullet. But it's starts to take you to sense in a time of oneness with God that does change our lives. Jesus, we bow right now in your presence as an act of worship to you, saying, Father, I do want to submit my life to you as the Lord of my life as I begin to do my daily quiet time with you every day to become more and more conformed to what you're asking me to become. In Christ's name I pray, amen. amen. Now, if you say, now how do I do it? If you, will, if you need to, talk to one of the pastoral staff members or somebody on the prayer team with grace. They'd love to help you. Number two, heads bowed, eyes closed again, please. And we'll wrap it up. The vast majority of married couples do not pray together. It's just our North American culture. We find this, that as you pray together, in fact, this morning, a man came up to me at the close of the first service who I challenged them on the same topic in Pastor Ray's men's group. And he said, since that day, we now pray together 75% of of our weeks. (laughs) And he said, I can't believe the difference in our relationship. I'm getting to know my wife, and she's getting to know me like we never thought possible. It's so much more intimate. Friends, I am convinced as you pray together as spouse and husband, right? It's amazing what God can then do in our lives and then through our lives. But I say to you men, you step it up. You're the ones that tonight talk to your wife about this, right? And begin that journey. Now, for some of you, you're saying, Pastor John, I'm single or single again. Ask God to give you a special friend to pray with. And if that's on your heart and you're saying to me, to me today, would you pray for us as a couple that we'll start doing this? Would you raise your hands right now, please? I can pray for you. Oh, yes, I see many, many hands all across the auditorium. Oh, thank you. Yes, I see some more. Jesus, you've seen every hand, every person here. You know their story. You love us so deeply. But, Father, we also know that you want our lives to have the aroma of you, Jesus. That we're different because of you. You want to give our marriage, our lives, more and more life to be more and more like who you are. Now, Lord, today, as those hands went up, might there be in a sense, that new sense of commitment, of perseverance, to be walking the journey of prayer together because we want to be more effective, Father, in our lives and for the call upon us and upon your church. In Christ's name we pray, with much thanksgiving, amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.